If you're good at something, never do it for free. You're my older brother, and I love you. But don't ever take sides with anyone against the family again. I bought the <laughs> Welcome back. We are the Film Drifters. Our show provides film and TV reviews from two guys that make, watch, and love movies. I'm Myron, and joining me each week is Will. Woo! Happy 2021, people. Happy New Year, everybody. We have a very special episode. Today, we're going to be kicking off our top 10 films of 2020 with part one of our series. And today, we'll be going through films 10 through 6. And uh, we are joined, once again, by filmmaker Steve O'Chang. Welcome back, Steve Happy 2021. We made it. Uh, We made it. We survived. COVID-free, to my knowledge. (laughs) Word. Yeah, it's funny, but like everyone you talk to has like thinks, I think I might have had it, but I'm not sure. But right. yeah, it seems like everyone has uh, seems to think that way. But uh, quick, I don't know quick how question: is. Yeah. How many of you? Uh, how many times have you guys been tested? Oh my gosh! Uh, like once or twice, but um, I mostly just quarantined because apparently I have the time. Just sit there <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've done it twice. Uh, yeah, dude, yeah. I, I'm up to seven now. Oh wow. my gosh! Yeah. Wow. We we've had a few uh, outbreaks in our bubble. No, I wouldn't say full, yeah. full 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 blown outbreaks, but we've had a few cases. So need yeah, to make sure scares. that we're okay. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, same here. Yeah. Yeah, you know it. It, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. It is what it is. Thankfully, hopefully, we'll be coming out of this really, really soon. Everything will be open, opening back up, and this will just be one of the stories that we tell our kids. Like fingers you know, crossed. Fingers All right. crossed. All right. So. I think you guys, our, our returning listeners, may have noticed that uh, we're calling our podcast a new name. Last week, we were the Podfellas, and this week, we are the Film Drifters. Well, why the name change? Well, it's because we are expecting big things for our podcast in 2021, and we wanted to kick things off with a little bit of a change, and hopefully that change will allow us to have more exposure to new listeners. So it seemed only fitting to go ahead and move forward with this. Well, what does the Film Drifters mean? Well, we chose this name because we believe as creatives that um, it's not so much the destination that counts, but it's really the journey along the way, the things that we intake, the things that we watch and experience that changes our perspective, which in turn changes the way that we as creatives express ourselves. So that is why we call ourselves the Film Drifters. Week by week, Will and I will be bringing you all new reviews, and hopefully you'll tune in, listen, and uh, as we watch these films, I like to think of it as we're on a creative journey ourselves. So hopefully we can all experience that journey together. So, uh, beautifully lot- said, Myron. Thank you, sir. Beautifully said, my Thank goodness. You, sir. Yes, I, I rehearsed that in the mirror, looking. <laughs> it wouldn't make sense to rehearse it in a mirror because it's not like anyone can see me. But and then, did you drift away afterwards from the yes, mirror? Yes, yes. I, I, I hitchhiked <laughs> and uh, got a ride to another mirror where I rehearsed it again. Anyway, I was, I'm probably going to cut all that. Um, anyway, Stevo. It's been like literally a year since you've been on this show. I think the last time we had you on was when you were up at Sundance last year. So we wanted to ask That's you, right. you've, been, you've been out and about doing a ton of different things, lots and lots of fun projects. Most recently you were in Florida and then you were back home and I think you're back in Florida. So what are you up to now? Yeah, I'm currently back in Florida shooting pickups for this uh, six episode, half hour long indie series that we've been shooting. Uh, it's called I Can't Even. It's like a teen horror mystery kind of series and um, we'll be spending the rest of this q1 in post uh we're almost done with the pilot episode we actually shot some pickups tonight uh Mm. we are it's like midnight over here so yeah um, i'm three hours ahead of you guys but uh yeah so um it's been a a crazy year with you know we came out to florida to film the series because at the time uh the covid count was way lower and the parts of florida that we're in uh, it's it's really low and and Mm. fairly safe and 
We were following the Georgia production guidelines at the time because uh, DGA and all those uh, unions didn't have any of the guidelines out yet. And so we were kind of ahead of the curve, but nice. um, we were safe and um, no outbreaks over here and uh, just chasing after, you know, uh, the creativity of filmmaking out here. So yeah. it's been fun. Very yeah, all cool. American dream. <laughs> yes. That's that's one thing I always loved about you is that you're always working on something and it's just exciting to always ask you like, hey, what are you doing right now? You know, so uh, good luck <laughs> out there. Can't wait to see the pilot. Really looking forward I, yeah. to that. Excited for you, yeah, man. I can't yeah. wait. Yeah. I can't wait either. <laughs> I can't even, dude. I can't even. I can't even. even. Yeah. I yeah. Can't it's it's even. a working title. Um, yeah. <laughs> I can't even, bro. I'm so excited. Nice. <laughs> yeah, it's become our vernacular where uh, we'll say that because 2020 has been such a crazy year mm. that uh, it just kind of works, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Normally, we would get things started with the rundown, but with it being the start of a new year, I figure we can do something just a little bit different. I want to take this time to look back at the year that was and kind of talk through it a little bit. I want to ask you guys first thing is that in the film industry, who won 2020? Let me ask you first, Steve-O. What do you think? Um, I think not Quibi. <laughs> <laughs> Quibi was such a big deal running up to 2020. And yeah. uh, I even made some ads for them that were like written by Meg Whitman and Jeffrey Katzenberg. But um, it was kind of sad. But I think, you know, it's, it's something that had to be said that it was not Quibi. Yeah. Um, but I think uh, another big winner um, is definitely Disney+. Plus. Uh, they launched um, yeah. just as the pandemic hit. Yeah. And uh, I don't think many folks thought that anyone could take on um, the, the, big, the big juggernaut Netflix. But, you know, The Mandalorian, especially season two, who knew? Uh, Baby Yoda brought it, brought it a long way. And so I think uh, Disney Plus is definitely a huge winner. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Are you a fan of CG Luke or not a fan of CG Luke? I'm not a fan of any of the CG people, <laughs> uh, especially the Skywalker family. Uh. But I think um, it was really cool to see that tie together. You know? yeah. I'm not going to lie. I actually jumped out of my chair and said, Luke, like a little 12-year-old. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Me too. I was like, oh my gosh, I, I need to tell somebody. I need to like, call somebody. It was, it was really exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know there was a lot of like uh, back and forth about like who could the, the, the Jedi be that um, I guess uh, Baby Yoda had called. Yeah. Yeah. In one of the episodes, but um, being a huge Star Wars fan, having watched you know Clone Wars and Rebels, uh, I thought it would be like Ezra, one of those guys. And yeah, that's and so. It was cool thought. to see Osaka Tana come out. She's yeah. one of my favorite Star Wars characters. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Was you know going back to your your comment about Quibi? It's funny is that right when the pandemic started, it was released, and I was excited. I downloaded it. I got the trial, but I never saw one thing on Quibi. And I feel like most people had that story. I downloaded it. <laughs> but never used it. <laughs> yeah, I actually got to so, see a bunch of shows um, before it got released because that was part of my job. Uh. And so it was interesting to see like, you know, how they, how they um, approached, you know, the, the short format content series. Mm. And mm. I think like uh, a lot of their, their strong points was, were not the narrative pieces that, um, you know, Katzenberg is known for. And that uh, I guess a lot of people thought that it would be more, you know, short form content series. Uh, in terms of like narrative, it was actually more the reality stuff that yeah. seemed to uh, be more compelling, which was yeah, interesting. Yeah. I believe they had one about the Clippers and Chris Paul was in it, Doc Rivers. Mm -hmm. I think that had actually found a really big audience, interestingly yeah. enough. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Well, what about you, Will? Who won 2020 in your opinion? Honestly, uh, Netflix. 
I think they had the upper hand with films such as Trial of Chicago 7, Defy Bloods, Maul Rainey's Black Bottom, The Old Guard, half of it, Eurovision, Queen's Gambit. Dude, they basically offered a diverse selection and a huge amount of original content. It was... Uh, where's Tiger yeah. King? I just got to say, where's Tiger King? You know... That's what I, kicked it off. We're going to talk <laughs> about true. that in television, right? Because we're going to talk about who won 2020 in the realm of television as well. Yeah, My yeah. goodness. But, yeah. uh, you know, I never finished Tiger King. Did you guys finish it? I, was, I, I did. Was, uh, I did finish. I th- I think I slept on the last episode, though, because it was just getting too ridiculous. And I was just like, I don't really care anymore. <laughs> yeah. This is just ridiculous. It was like overload. <laughs> it was yeah. so overload. And it was, if you really dumb it down, it's just the biggest, like the the pettiest argument and and the whole situ- of the whole situation of what went down, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> gosh, man, I, I have to say though, uh, I have to agree with you, Will, that I think Netflix did win twenty twenty. They're not my choice in terms of who I picked to win, but I, you know, right. now that you bring that up, I, I I would say I have to agree with you. I mean, literally, right when the pandemic started, it's as if they were just stockpiling amazing movies, and as soon as the pandemic hit, they're like here you go. And they just like unloaded it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And just the amount unloaded of ammo, everything. <laughs> I mean, every movie you said, right. And including, I remember they kicked things off with extraction, like yes, early April. And that mm-hmm. everyone was talking about that film. Um, and then there was also the rumors that no time to die was possibly going to come to Netflix. That actually oh. didn't happen. Could you imagine if it did, that would have been wow. insane. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but anyway, that was your pick, Will. And now that you brought that up, I, I did say I would agree with you. But my pick before you mentioned any of that was I think female directors won 2020. There was a slew of them that had amazing movies. There was Kelly Reichert with First Cow, Kitty Green, who directed and wrote The Assistant, Eliza Hittman, who had her debut with Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, and of course, Patty Jenkins, director of Wonder Woman 1984. Say what you will about the movie, whether you loved it or hated it or hated it, <laughs> but the movie was huge. To, to end 2020 and uh, it had a female director and it's as crazy as it sounds people are, are saying that it could potentially save the film industry because it did so much better than people thought it would i'm looking at the numbers here 28 and a half million over the weekend 89 million international for a worldwide cube of 118 million i mean that's nothing compared to what it would have made but considering the the lockdown that we're in and the fact that you know we're in the middle of a surge that it did this well is it's pretty astounding i think so yeah. in my but community think, uh, it's just been a huge disappointment <laughs> in my community <laughs> everyone just like what yeah. is wonder woman yeah. 84 yeah but i wonder cuz like you know that's tied to hbo max right know? so i wonder how the numbers go for hbo max will people stick around or will they just let their free trial yeah. expire so what I, I actually, did hear, yeah, go ahead, Will. What I heard was that half of every subscriber watched it on opening day. That's yeah. impressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think, I honestly think HBO uh, has a good amount of content that I'm interested in. I, I was just browsing through. I'm watching right now Falling Skies. I and I'm looking. Mm-hmm. I'm watching throughout the entire series, and it, I actually enjoy it. And then I look at. Other series, uh, Flight Attendant, I still kind of want to check out as well with Kaylee yeah, Cuoco, I believe. Same. There's Selection, uh, Friends <laughs> is, yeah. is all on there. So they, they have good content. I, they have a good library right now. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And we'll see like um, what kind of content that they'll keep releasing to, to keep people coming back. Yeah. That's what yeah. I'm, that's what I'm yeah. curious about. Let's see how, because once I'm done and, and running out of all those shows, we'll see what happens, what's left. Yeah. <laughs> Well, if they yeah, premiere all those movies that they said they would, then hopefully, you know, I think they'll retain their audience. But, I mean, we'll see. There's already word that they're pulling back some of those films. 
All right. In television, who won 2020? I'm going to go first. I will have to say Netflix once again. Queen's Gambit. And they rolled out the docuseries Tiger King right when the pandemic hit. Oh, my god! And they have a myriad of other bingeable shows that premiered this year. And even though they lost friends to HBO Max, they gained Coco Melon, The Bane of My Existence, and held on to The Office. So in terms of television, I have to say Netflix is on top. Will, what say you? I have to hand, I, I agree with you. Netflix, Queen's Gambit, best series, hands down. Loved it. Enjoyed mm-hmm. it so much. And like I just said before, uh, HBO Max, I'm hooked on Falling Skies right now. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's not 2020 that it released, but the fact that they have that entire series on there and it got me hooked, I'm like, okay, all right, you're doing, yeah. you're, you're doing well for me so far, HBO. Yeah, yes. What about you, Steve-O? You're a big uh, Star Wars junkie, right? Yeah, I got to say Mandalorian season two. And, uh, you know, even the first season, because I didn't watch it when it first came out. Um, uh-huh. I just kind of uh, slowly binged it. But um, yeah, I mean, there was like, I wonder if HBO Max is going to have the same problem, but there was a bit of a lull. You know, you watch the whole Disney library and like, okay, what else is there? But right. um, I think they kind of came back strong. And yeah, it, there's good content on that. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Fill in the blank, guys. 2020 was a year where? Steve-O. Drive-in movie theaters made a comeback. Uh, now, I didn't go to one, <laughs> but uh, I did go to like uh, a Netflix sponsored Stranger Things drive through maze. Oh, and, uh, I heard it was about cheesy, that. but it was really cool. And like, they had, you know, um, actors with masks, obviously, socially distanced, everyone in their cars with the windows up. Uh, they had a radio station that you dial into, and um, all the actors are uh, lip syncing to the dialogue and the music. And you're kind of driving through a parking lot, but um, they made it seem like you're in the parking lot to the Starcourt Mall. Yeah, it's, so at Ro- it uh, <laughs> it's at Row LA, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so was that it was scary? Really cool. Was uh, it scary? No, I mean, it was really cheesy, but uh, it was just fun to be out, you know, and to yep. experience something that, um, it's not necessarily a movie experience, but it was something different. And drive-in mm-hmm. movie theaters, I feel like, kind of are similar, where it's not like you're in a movie theater or, like, at home, but mm-hmm. you are outside, and it feels like an event. And mm-hmm. uh, 2020 being on lockdown for so much of it, uh, being at an event that's in the safety of your car was really cool to, yeah. to, to experience. Steve, cool. the, the production of it, at least when I've seen on YouTube, people actually re- filming the whole experience looked epic to me. And yes. I have to say that definitely is and looks a lot, a lot better than the freaking Jurassic Park experience. They have one like Costa oh. Mesa. But I was like, oh, a Jurassic Park one. I wonder if it's going to be something similar to like Stranger Things. Like that seems cool. But literally it's for five-year-olds. They have (laughs) dinosaurs in the middle of the street with like, it's like you're in the Smithsonian. All you're doing is reading and looking at the dinosaurs or what they are. It's very, (laughs) very low production and very cheesy. And I was like, this was a letdown. There was one real cool performance piece where um, there were like, five different 11s and five different Coopers. And, I saw that. Uh, they're like, I mean, they're all synced and choreographed together, but uh, it, it was kind of creepy and weird. If it, it, it felt like it brought it to a whole different level of uh, Stranger Things world, you know, like a so parallel, cool. weird parallel universe. But it was really cool. I highly recommend it. Man. Very cool. All right, Will, what about you? So 2020 was the year where streaming became the new wave of cinema for many who would rather watch it in the comfort of their own home. Uh, technology is developing quickly and it's providing things at affordable prices for those that want to have their, you know, all in one home theater. I think that like, also I agree with Steve-O that drive-ins are coming back. I did watch a handful of drive-ins uh, mm-hmm. last year nice. and you know, it's, it was fun. I, I just realized it's like, oh, I, you know, this couldn't, this doesn't have to be a niche. This is actually something I can probably do a good amount of time, but 
I think what we've discussed before, Myron, was with Kat actually was why why do I need to dress up? Why do I need to like get in my car and drive and to go watch a film when it's like right here in in yeah. my own home and I can pause it and walk away. <laughs> yeah. And make myself some make a sandwich. Make myself a sandwich yeah. and come back. <laughs> yeah. So totally. Yeah, I see that. I really do see that's what twenty twenty was. Yeah. And I think it's going to continue to progress that way. Yeah. I have to agree with you. 2020 was a year where streaming proved its worth. I mean, it always had worth to us, but in terms of what it mattered to us, like, could you imagine, like I was talking to my wife about this when the pandemic first started, what would life be like if we had no internet? Literally, if if we didn't have stuff to watch to distract us from the hell that was happening (laughs) in the world, it would have been like unbearable. I think it would have become like Lord of the Flies. I think people would have started like rioting and doing some crazy shit. You know, I think yeah, Russia would but, have hit uh, us without us even knowing. No satellite, no, no, no way, know, no right? internet. <laughs> it's funny how technology, which we never had, once you have it, it's become it becomes like something that you can't live without. It's such a weird thing. Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. A, it just solidified like no streaming is here to stay. This it's not yeah. the future anymore. It's the now, mm. and it's going to be. This is what it is. <laughs> and I think that people who I think I've had this discussion before with friends where it's crazy how before when you want to see a film, you're like, oh, let's go to the movies, but we got to figure out who wants to come with us and we kind of plan it all out. But then now when it comes to streaming and and I'm seeing like friends try to figure out what they want to watch, they take like 15, 20 minutes to watch. It's like, hey, we haven't seen any of these before. Yeah, but, and they just, it's like flip, it's like the new flipping channels and it's Mm. such a one first world problem. It's so ridiculous. And, And I've gotten to the habit of it too. I'm like, wow, where, what the heck? What is wrong with me? <laughs> yeah. Have you guys done any uh, streaming watch parties? No, I haven't. No, yeah, no I think, wait, that's I like think the we next did. Big thing. Wait, Will, you and I streamed, uh, remember, Hereditary and watched it. Oh, remember we that? did. You were yeah. freaking out. That's I, I was right. <laughs> I was dead. I was dead. You, I think the one, the one demand was that you said, we have to watch it at like noon. We can't watch it at night. We're watching it during the day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. Not that's right. Go Absolutely. To bed. <laughs> Not, no. not before we go to bed. No. <laughs> yeah, I think the scariest movies I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think there's a lot more, um, you know, apps that are coming out with that. Like, uh, what what is it? Hulu has one. Hulu Watch Party, and I think Netflix is starting one up. And you know, people are getting together to to watch a movie together at the same time, but yeah. distant. Mm-hmm. Do you so, think that's going to really, you know, do you think it's, do you see it as a long shelf life, or do you believe that it might be just niche? I could totally see it as a long shelf life. Like, for example, mm. um, when we finish our pilot. Uh, we want to do a watch party and so i'm trying to figure out how do we do that because my actors are all across the country oh know? okay and so but we all want to watch it together and have our friends watch in and mm-hmm. yeah like unless you do like a twitch stream or something i think that uh even um what is this zoom has one too but yeah i think like that that is the next big step that's happening right now i see a lot of dollars being saved <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no more no more <laughs> plane rides to go to the red carpet premiere it's like all right everyone Pull out your own red carpet in your kitchen and right. let's, uh, <laughs> let's watch this movie together. <laughs> yeah, let, let, let's have your dogs come in and intervene and uh, yeah. your kids. and. <laughs> oh, man. All right. All right, guys. So we asked about 2020. Now let's fill in the blank for this final question before we move on to our top 10. 2021 will be the year that will. The fight for theaters to gain back their audience will be an uphill battle. Interesting. Okay. Yes. I think we will always have theaters, but attendance may shrink due people due to people wanting to watch new releases at home and for a more affordable price. And I think we can all agree with that. 
uh, when it comes to affordable prices. Um, yeah. Interesting. Well, I have to kind of disagree with you there. I do agree in that I think the theater going model will has changed and will change forever. Mm -hmm. But I do think that 2021 will be the year where theaters will reprove their worth. And uh, basically, all these movies that were delayed, they're now going to duke it out in like, it's going to be a no holds barred, like just massive fight, I feel like at the theaters. Other than Warner Brothers movies, I feel like movies like Top Gun and No Time to Die, they're all going to come out and people will be going back to the theaters. Maybe not in droves, but they, they will be going back. And I think they will show, the theaters will show that there is life still left in those veins. But my, so, my, uh, my counter question though is, mm -hmm. how long before you believe that some a film like Top Gun Maverick goes straight to streaming in a matter of weeks? That is a different story because I yes. know that there was a, a deal between Universal and AMC where I believe AMC would play their movies for about three weeks and then Universal Universal can do whatever they wanted with it. And so that's what they did with Freaky. It played in theaters and then when it then it went straight to streaming. Um, I don't know what's going to happen with the Universal movies this year. I, I think uh, the next Fast and the Furious movie is supposed to come out. That's a Universal flick. So it, I'm curious to see if that will come to on demand in three weeks. But other movies like Top Gun, which I believe is distributed by Paramount, they have no deal like that. But uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure, like, I mean, you asked me, will you know, movies like this come to streaming faster? I'm sure they will. But, uh, you know, Some, who knows? I mean, they've been already experimenting with, like, same-day release with uh, on demand yeah. and mm. movie theaters. And I think streaming, too. Like, uh, HBO Max did that, right? with mm -hmm. um wonder woman so yeah yeah and it was successful yeah. yeah yeah all right what do you think steve well 2021 will be the year that yeah i have to agree with you big budget movie battle royale you know all mm -hmm. the 2020 temp summer temples that were you know delayed are all gonna they're gonna drop it all in 2021 the moment um society opens up again but um i i kind of wonder if it's going to be kind of a letdown you know because there's such an oversaturated market and to your point will that uh, streaming has just, you know, it's solidified itself in 2020. And uh, so I just wonder um, between that and like the oversaturated market, um, how these films will fare compared to each other. All right. That was our little look at the year that was and the year that will be. We will take a short break and we will come back with our top 10 of 2021. Stay tuned. We heard London's in total lockdown. We are all locked in this psychological prison of burning aloneness. How's Linda? She's somewhere in the house. Is there some type of issue? We are fine. Not only is everything not okay, nothing is okay. Linda said she was planning to end our thing. Nobody wants to live alone. For two weeks, we are locked together here. You know, you think I'm so happy and normal. No, I, I'd never accuse you of being happy and normal. Because I'm not! I've been furloughed. Now there is literally zero purpose to my life. I'm going to get provisions. We need milk, bread. Wait, how many asses have you got? Piss off. The nice people that I fired, they were fired because of me. It's not about the virus, it's about who I am and what I do for a living. You fired them well. Thank you. Is that a glass of wine? Yes, yeah, it is. We have a situation, person. All the major department stores are closing. They want everything out in the next four days. We have a problem. At Harrods, we have $4 million worth of jewelry. Someone's gonna have to pack the valuables up. I believe you are a man who can be trusted. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I can be trusted. It's 
gonna have to be someone that we trust, so that means inevitably it's gonna be me. It's a new dawn. What are you taking out of Harrods? A diamond. It's a new day. Since lockdown, I'm looking back at myself like that was then, and this is now. Yeah. The bastards who told me to fire those people, they are bad. You and I are good. Good is better than bad. You're talking about stealing a diamond. Three million pounds. Live wild or die, Linda. And I'm feeling good. All right, we are back. We are kicking things off with part one of our top 10 series. This episode, this segment, we will be going through movies 10 through 6 on each of our lists. So first things first, counting down from number 10, I want to ask you, Steve-O, what is your number 10 favorite film of 2021? My number 10 pick is a film, I don't know if it's been released or not yet, but uh, I saw it at Sundance. It's called Zola. And it's a true story based on a crazed Twitter rant about one crazy night following two sex workers in the sex trafficking capital of the world, Tampa, Florida. You want to hear a story about how me and this bitch here fell out? It's kind of long, but it's full of suspense. Oh wait, where are you? Where are you? Where are you, Steve? In Florida? Uh, I am in Tallahassee. Okay, uh, all right. Just yeah. So that's sure. not it's, the sex capital, sex trafficking capital. It is not. It is not. Okay. It is the opposite. <laughs> I'm glad you're safe. I'm just glad you're safe. Don't yeah. want you to be stuck in. Se- I don't want you to be constantly. Yeah, I don't want. Don't get trafficked. Yeah. No. Don't right. Get trafficked, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, this film was like a crazy film. Um, one of my classmates, Joy McMillan, um, she edited it, and this is like an editing tour de force. Uh, I saw this at Sundance, and I was like mesmerized by um, also the bold direction. Um, they were breaking the fourth wall like crazy in a disruptive, like raucous story structure, where protagonists will interrupt each other's voiceover rants and correct each other or interject and tell their version of the same story. You know, so I've never seen a film filled with this much slick stylistic editing. Um, it was jazzed up. It was like ADD cocaine-filled roller coaster ride with unknowable twists. Um, it just hit you at so many different angles that you didn't know what to expect. And um, the use of the Twitter, the, the tweet sound, it was just like a punctuation, like an exclamation point um, with every uh, plot twist and every um, uh, uh, back and forth with the dialogue. And it just really punched you like a diamond-crusted knuckle. And uh, mm-hmm. there were definitely laugh-out-loud moments at times and because um, the, the story and the characters were just so invigorating and, and fresh and alive. But at the same time, it showed the real dark world of the sex trafficking world. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was terrifying. It was dread-infested journey. And so th- when the first half, like, you know, the style was all jazzed up, the second half of the film um, just really, you know, took you through the gauntlet of what these women go through. And mm-hmm. um, it was horrifying to see such bright, bold characters wither away as they struggled against the, the violent and often very seedy, disgusting world of prostitution, drug abuse, et cetera. And mm-hmm. um, as an audience member, it, we definitely felt like a fish out of water. Like, this is not our world by any means. Uh, mm-hmm. The words, how they're saying it, uh, I have no idea what they are, but like you get a gist of what's being said, what it's about. And it just made you feel really overexposed and completely vulnerable as, a, as an audience member. Mm. And um, I, I really wish that uh, it could have kept that high spirited energy like throughout. Um, but crashing into that depressing, hopeless underworld, you couldn't help but want to take a long shower after to like wash away the film. Wow. I think it was really effective, but um, the realism of, of sex trafficking, you just can't get away from that. And I think ultimately it, it might turn away a lot of viewers from the film. But, uh, but uh, you know, it, 
it was a very special film at Sundance, and um, mm -hmm. there's just the amount of style that uh, was mm -hmm. injected in this film was amazing. Actually, I heard quite a bit about it. What I didn't know was that it was such a dark movie in the second half. So you're saying there's a big tonal shift, like right in the middle of the film? Yeah, yeah. It's like, I think a lot of films with the subject matter, they tend to not go that direction. Like, I know you don't like to see weenuses. Um, you see a lot in this film. <laughs> and so I love weenuses. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Will does, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, there's a lot of the, the taboos that, you know, like in, in, that you might see in a, a, a real violent porn were kind of, you know, it, it, it straddled that line. And so I, I'm not sure if it's for everyone, but um, just that first half of, of, of that energy and, and these characters that uh, I haven't really seen these kind of characters in, in a film before, the way that mm. it was presented from the perspective that it was told. I feel like I need to take yeah. a 30 minute hot shower to cleanse myself from your description. Just from your description. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, I tried to like clean it up. My goodness. <laughs> this sounds like a mind F of a film. What the frick? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely worth Jeez. a watch if you could stomach it. Mm. Oh my gosh. You know, there have been a lot of really hard to watch movies this year that have been praised. And uh, I have to admit like this last couple of weeks when I was catching up on movies to, you know, see if any of them would make my list. A lot of them were just downright depressing. To be honest makes sense with you. though right yeah <laughs> yeah it's that, it's that kind of a year we're in, this, yeah. we're in that, that mindset anyway <laughs> yeah yep. definitely all right well what's your number Man. 10 well to lighten things up just a little bit i guess uh my number 10 was let them all talk with meryl streep alice has a manuscript that's due really soon everyone at the agency is getting a bit nervous i mean i haven't seen a manuscript have you seen the manuscript i have not seen a manuscript for years now, she's been hinting that she's revisiting one of her characters, so I've booked her on the Queen Mary 2 with her two friends and her nephew. Here's to picking up the conversation where we left off, and here's to reconnecting the gang of three who we used to be. <laughs> Did you always talk like that? Uh, I, I went into this film strictly for the fact that Steven Soderbergh shot this entirely on the Red Komodo, which... I know you can hold your <laughs> comments, Steve-O, <laughs> which, is, which is a mid-high-end camera, but very budget-friendly for prosumers. It actually was created to be a stunt dummy camera, meaning like for action or explosion scenes, since it can be destroyed or damaged without breaking the bank. However, though, Soderbergh uses this as an A-cam here to test its capabilities. I have to say, it did not disappoint. Now, as far as Let Them All Talk goes, I was pleasantly surprised. Reading how it was mostly improvised and shot with minimal equipment, the whole cast and crew really came together to create a good character-driven story. Uh, the actors all had great chemistry and their conversations felt organic. The main actor that really stood out to me was Lucas Hedges playing Tyler. Because Definitely. he was the yeah. link be between all of the other individual characters and was the vessel by which their conflicts were revealed. The best part was the scene where Tyler was speaking with Susan, played by Diane Weist, asking her what it was like growing up without cell phones or if people in today's day and age have changed due to social media all of that was improvised and you just you just have to see it to understand why it was so funny because tyler's rambling is so off the cuff yeah yeah <laughs> so good yeah he really made that movie for me it was actually right at my number 10 until i watched one film last night that just barely uh, knocked it out of the, of my top 10 but uh Definitely a great choice, Will. Very yeah. well said. My, it's, it, it's higher up in my list. Yeah, so I agree. It's definitely nice. top 10 worthy. Oh, very cool. 
All right, Myron. All right. What about you? My number, my number 10 is uh, maybe a little bit of an odd pick, but it's a film that I would have to say looking back on, uh, I like it more now than I did before. Um, it, and my number 10 film is Borat 2, subsequent movie <laughs> film. Very nice. Okay. Very nice. Okay. Ago, I released a movie film which brought great shame to Kazakhstan. But now I was instructed to return to Yankee Land to carry out secret mission. I go to America! This movie seemed to catch everyone by surprise in multiple ways. Most people, including myself, didn't even know that a second Borat film was in the works. And all of a sudden, I, I yeah. saw that it was on Amazon Prime. I really enjoyed this film more than I thought it would. And the filmmakers, I think, were really smart because the shock value from the first film was gone. And so without that shock value, this movie would land flat. So what they did is they actually infused a whole lot of heart into it. And it was really odd. It caught me completely off guard because at its soul, Borat 2 is a father-daughter road trip movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> As weird as that sounds. Truly. And uh, Borat's daughter, played by Maria Bakalova, she was an absolute st uh, scene stealer. Um, then while they were on their journey, they explored topics like abortion and women's rights and gender inequality. And it did so in a smart yet completely ridiculous over-the-top way. Um, it's really weird, but I feel like Borati might be the most woke movie of 2020 in the way that it deals with all of these themes. And the closing montage, in my opinion, had the funniest moment in movies this year. And I will get to more of that later. So that is my number 10 film, Borat 2, subsequent movie film. I have to agree. And the fact from the first Borat, how, how much it garnered attention and actually in popularity that the moment that they, when you were telling me they're making Borat 2, I was thinking, everyone's going to know who he is. How are they going yeah. to yeah. digress from people coming up to him and going, very nice, I like, you know, just doing all those those one-liners that that everyone knows now and i think they did a great job just being able to bring in the whole uh daughter into play so yeah. and i yeah maria ba uh, baklava did a great phenomenal job yeah yeah she's actually winning film critics circle awards which is kind of crazy for best yeah. supporting actress amazing yeah yeah, yeah i caught yeah. wind of borat too just from the news articles you know mm. and so it was interesting to especially some of the what was a the um, Republican um, rally. Yeah. Uh, someone had sent me a link to that way early before. I'm like, oh, I guess Borat's making another movie. And it's interesting from, to see like, what they're puzzling out, what this movie was about, even though there, there hadn't been an official announcement. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. That's awesome. Crazy. Yeah. All right, well, let's start with you for your number nine pick. All right. So my number nine pick is Netflix, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Where's the, uh, the horn player? I got a friend. Come on, Levy. You rehearse like everybody else. I'm going to get me a band and make me some records. I know how to play real music, not this jug band shit. You call that playing music? I know what I'm doing. Go on and fire me. I don't care. When I got there, they began to say. That's to get the people's attention. Chadwick Boseman's last film, and how sad. It, honestly, it's such makes me kind of tear up sometimes like as sad as it is his performance in this was beautiful and such a force of nature this mm. film is based off a play written by pulitzer prize winner august wilson and the way this film felt was more theatrical than cinematic 
but that didn't bother me at all. And what I mean by that is this film only had like three to five locations, most of it taking place in a recording studio. Yep. Here's a brief synopsis. It, it takes place in Chicago in 1927, where tensions rise between Ma Rainey, played by Viola Davis, amazing, with her ambitious horn player Levy, played by Bozeman, rest in peace, and the white management tasked with controlling the uncontrollable mother of blues. This film shows the repercussions of racism as each member of Ma's band discusses their experiences with assault, lynching, rape, loss, and humiliation. Even Ma talks about how her voice is just a product of her white manager, and without it, she would have no power, and she'd just be another poor black person. Viola Davis and Chadwick Boseman are a powerhouse, especially in crucial scenes when they talk about their past and how the blues saved them. And, Mm, And to even add, the way... Uh, the cinematography was lit it it that kind of added to that theatric that theatrical kind of lighting kind of feel yeah in a sense. it was very bright mm-hmm. all the scenes were mm-hmm. yeah. and yeah wow and, and yeah and their acting too was very theatric in in, in that sense yeah. that stage kind of um presence so yeah definitely but like still yeah. nuance where it's believable yes it's yeah. not like a character it, acting you know yeah they Ch- chadwick totally you know, melted into that character. I did not see Black Panther at all. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. no, yeah. not at Don't all. Especially when, uh, when he, remember in his monologue, when he talks about like, I'll, you know, I'll get mine, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, you know, oh my gosh, that scene was him. Ugh. You, you guys have to watch it. It was so amazing. Oh yeah, it's on my list. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed this movie as well. Um, one of the things that I really thought was unique was that this movie hit differently because when the movie starts, it's actually Ma Rainey and her band members that are in the position of power because you know all of the, the white people, the, the management and such, they need Ma Rainey to create a record. And so, you know, you're seeing these of uh, these black people as, you know, like empowered, as talented and everything seems very optimistic. And I think the lighting kind of kind of lends to that. But then we realize maybe about midway through the film that it's actually all a facade and that this balance of power is, is kind of a, a facade as well. And then we hear we have the big monologue, of course, from Chadwick Boseman where he talks about his experience with race with racism, yes. which is such a powerful scene. Yep. So, yep. yeah, really great pick. Really great pick. Yeah. Thank you. All right. I'll go with my number nine, and then I'll hand it over to you, Steve-O. My number nine film is one that I watched this past weekend, and it is The Assistant. I feel like not a lot of people really heard about this movie, but it really found an audience once it hit streaming. I believe you can watch it for free on Hulu. Written and directed by Kitty Green, this film offers a look at at the day in the life of an assistant to a powerful Harvey Weinstein type executive. You can imagine what the assistant played masterfully by Julia Garner season hears. It isn't a flashy film. The camera is mostly locked off. And other than a handful of dolly shots, everything is very stationary, well-framed, methodical. Nothing takes away from the narrative. Everything is just so understated. Um, Like I said, Julia Garner, her performance was so effective. And she actually didn't say that many lines. Everything was just in her her posture, in her face, in the way that she walks. Um, We don't really see the Harvey Weinstein character at all in the movie. But it almost adds to the menace, I think, because we only really hear him. And every time he stomps around and yells, the fear etched into his employees' faces is all we really need to know about how the executive works. Um, for me, the film had one of the most memorable scenes of the year, which shows Julia Garner's character reporting some of the things that she's suspecting to HR. What's your plan? Sorry? Where do you want to be in five or ten years? Oh, uh, I 
I want to produce. I want to be a producer. You do? Yeah. <laughs> that's, okay. That's excellent. We could use more women producers. You know, that's a, you, it's a tough job, but I can see that you've got what it takes. Thanks. So why are you in here trying to throw it all away over this bullshit? It's a short watch, a little less than an hour and a half, so I can't recommend this film enough. And like I said, it's available to stream for free on Hulu. Sounds yeah, good. Yeah. I definitely need to watch definitely. it. Yeah. Yeah, the yeah. Uh, the sound design I think was really huge there too. You know, mm -hmm. it really brought that office environment to life. And uh, I'm not gonna lie, I had PTSD from my assistant days watching that. <laughs> the the paper jam and, and the and rolling the calls and the new assistant. Oh yeah, all of that, all of that. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right, all right, Steve O. Moving on, Steve O. Number nine. My number nine is a little bit more um, upbeat of a movie. Then, uh, I hope so. <laughs> uh, it is Palm Springs. <laughs> it's going to be a beautiful wedding. Here you are, standing on the precipice of something so much bigger than anyone here. But always remember, you are not alone. I don't think that we met. I'm Sarah. Niles. Hi. Hi. Uh, I tried to watch this at Sundance and like uh, like two or three screenings, but it was completely sold out, even the 7 a.m. ones. And um, I just love high concept films like this. And um, it was just fun how they reveal like plot twists and whatnot. And, you know, it's like a, a remake of Groundhog's Day, but put to contemporary times and dealing with, mm -hmm. um, you know, adulting and, and growing up. And mm -hmm. um, they just had fun with it and extrapolated upon some of the rules that Groundhog's Day universe like um, played with. And it was just a classic feel-good Andy Sandberg type of movie. And yeah. uh, by the way, Myron, didn't you go to UCLA at the same time as Andy? Andy Did Sandberg? I? I think so. I think so. Like uh, the Lonely Lonely Island Island. I think there were. Oh really? Yeah, they were like I a UCLA to check club. On that. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I was there when um, what's her name was there? Sarah Bareilles. Mm. But I'm sure there were other famous people there. You know, but you know, of course, I was above them all. You know, <laughs> everyone knew who I was, so you can't didn't really see. But can't, as Myron said, yeah. that he raised yeah. both of his hands above. Yes, <laughs> I was raising my nose at people like Andy Samberg in college. You know, <laughs> just kidding. As you should, as you should. But uh, yeah, that's um, Palm Springs. Um, I, I it ranked a little lower on my list because I feel like there was so much more that they could have done with the concept. Mm. Um, it felt like they kind of just took the concept of Groundhog's Day as a structure and just kind of made it their own. And um, I wish there was more that they played with that concept, construct. And uh, the way that it resolved, um, I, it, there, it felt like there was more to be desired. But uh, overall, sure. though, it was a feel-good movie, and I had fun watching it. Yeah, so for Palm Springs, Steve-O, uh, that one's actually higher on my list. Uh, I put it at number <laughs> six for me, and I agree. I think this was a funny film, and the the comparison, as you said, to with Groundhog's Day, totally agree. This is not your typical team comedy, though. When I went into it, with all the same jokes and antics as Eddie Sandberg, I have gotten to know what Eddie Sandberg puts out. I always thought, okay, this is going to be probably like another SNL digital short kind of thing. But no, yeah. it really surprised me it just had the right amount of campiness and humor yeah. and you know as as a time loop film i really liked the different perspectives 
um, as simple as it was in terms of circumstances one can be stuck in, right? It, it deals with the idea that you can do anything mm. and everything knowing there are no consequences, but without realizing that a specific event happening on that day can dictate how you have to deal with it for the rest of your life. Yeah. And so I thought they did a good job in being able to really kind of plot twisting a little bit with that. Mm-hmm. Um, even though this is a comedy, Amy Samberg, who plays Niles, he surprised me with a well-developed character that was different yeah, from yeah. those found in his typical SNL digital shorts or even in films like Hot Rod. You know, <laughs> he just felt pretty organic for me. And I thought, okay, I, I don't see Hot Rod. I don't see, you know, uh, I'm on a boat. I, I, I literally see him playing this character that has been stuck in this loop. And I like what you said, the perfect amount of camp. Because uh, there are some really, really campy moments, like when they first go into that cave, yep. and then like all of a sudden, it's like you see the you know cheesy like crossfades with like universe and yeah. the galaxies and, it's and just, everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I love that they just didn't take it too seriously. Yeah, not at yeah. all. You can't, yeah. you can't, because it's it's ground. It's like a time loop. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. Screw that. It's not about the science behind it. It's about having fun in these characters. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. basically, you're stuck in the circumstance. So how do you deal with it? So. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. All right. Back over to you, Steve. What is your number eight film? My number eight is a big oh, blockbuster boy. film called <laughs> Tenet. <laughs> I... To do what I do, I need some idea of the threat we face. As I understand it, we're trying to prevent World War Three. Nuclear Holocaust. No. Something worse. All I have for you is a word. Tenet. It'll open the right doors. Some of the wrong ones, too. You have to start looking at the world in a new way. Yeah, I oh, know, man. I know. It's confusing as hell. No, but um, I, I have a special I, place in my heart for Mindbender films. Um, I made a Mindbender film myself. And very sure. uh, seeing these kind of structural uh, problems that you have with these type of time loop films, um, I really appreciated uh, how they tackled it. Now, granted, they had a budget significantly larger than mine. but um, and paradox. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, I had a lot of fun watching it. And... Um, I wanted to put a blockbuster, like a, a tentpole film in my top 10, and th- I think this was the one for me. Um, the technical wizardry was like, I thought was pretty brilliant, and mm-hmm. it was visually illustrating the contrasting worlds. You know, that was also really cool. And uh, maybe because I'm a fan of video games, like they were using some tropes and visual guides that like uh, in video games, when you're walking through a set piece, uh, they'll guide you through it. There's like certain visual cues that you could pick up on. And using mm-hmm. the, uh, the divider where... Um, you know, this is our world, and that's the inverted world. That, to me, was really appealing and interesting. And going through that airlock system, you know, where it just rotates, it was a really clear, clean visual device to, to set up that world. And um, I, I just but really did it make sense <laughs> to you? <laughs> well, to be quite honest, I felt like the concept was a little bit um, uh, not complex. What's the opposite of complex? You know, it Simple? was both simplistic, yeah. Really? And, yeah, <laughs> I did. I think that... Uh, they use the time loop stuff to kind of, you know, 
hide, hide their trail, hide the tracks. And Paradox, we did that a lot where uh, to us, our, our storage structure might be like a crazy Z, but um, there's these uh, transition points that we just hit it with, you know, covered, concealed it with uh, a twist or um, some snazzy, you know, transition. And so I feel like they mm. did that a lot. Like I, it was really easy for me to track, maybe because writing something like that is, you know, you kind of learn those tricks. But mm -hmm. uh, I think that less about making sense was more about um, just having fun with it. Like it was a brain tickler for me, you know, like a, watching mm. a puzzle. And so I think that's why I really enjoyed it. And uh, one of my favorite moments in the film was uh, John David Washington when he walked into the reverse time world for the first time. And, um, you know, Nolan really took time to, to show how weird it felt uh, by seeing the seagulls flying backwards and the ship going backwards. And now you're in this backwards world, whereas before all the inverted bullets and cars, it just looked like someone driving in reverse. But now that you're in that inverted world, you see just how weird the entire world is compared to, you know, just seeing one object in it. So, so I would mean, you say, are you saying that, that they hid the science pretty well? Kind of like just keep, like accept it oh, for what it is. It's like Palm Springs. Like screw the science. Ah, okay. Because <laughs> you have to. Because otherwise, you're spending way too much time trying to explain something, and you're not having fun. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I have to. I have to call you out on this just a little <laughs> bit here. I, I, I'm looking at your notes here, and I, you have one note you didn't get into yet. Obviously, plenty of problems with the film, such as basic logic. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Now explain, please. <laughs> well, films don't necessarily have to be logic-driven, plot-driven. That's a very American cinema type thing. Right. You can watch, yeah. um, now these films are, I think, you know, are, are far, far better films than Tenet might be, but uh, Fallen Angels by Wong Kar Wai. You know, there is no mm. plot per se. Um, what drives that story is theme. Um, what thematically holds these diverse characters together. And with um, Tenet, I feel like what was pushing it forward wasn't necessarily plot, it was momentum. It was, you know, the, the, the uncanny valley type of feel that you are not in, you know, the, the, you're not in a world that is normal. And I just love films and, and stories that take you to other worlds. And mm. um, not like the, the realism films that, um, that are made higher on my list, but uh, this one, it, just, it was just a lot of fun for me. It was a brain tickler. I like this a lot better than Dunkirk and um, uh, Interstellar. Wow. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Wow. It, it reminded me of like what he did with memento that's with what i was time. thinking you're gonna say yeah i figured mm. he's gonna go memento yeah very interesting i did like the movie i have to say i didn't i don't completely agree with uh how you like this film so much but i did like it i so i do i do think it has some of the biggest set pieces i've seen this year i mean the plane crash was just off the off the wall yeah. that was insane yeah and yeah. I, maybe maybe because i i'd made my film paradox but the first iteration we went through it, I knew exactly what was going to happen. I knew like in my, in my film Paradox, there's this hooded man, this mysterious hooded man. And uh, they had the same kind of patrope in um, Tenet. And it, it gave it away, but the, the fun was not like trying to figure it out because I already figured it out the moment it started. It was just more of seeing how they were going to pull it together. It was more mm. the how, not the, not the why. Hmm. So Myron, okay. watch it ten more I times, and maybe you'll finally get it. Okay. <laughs> see, like I, would no, I really think, yeah. I really think, um, I believe he was quoted saying that it, it's not about the plot. You don't need to worry about the logic. Just watch the film. Oh, did he say that? Something along those lines, or someone said that about it, and I was like, okay, that makes sense. But I don't know. For me, I feel like a a, a movie where you can't understand the plot fully after like ten viewings 
it's kind of unforgivable. But then again, maybe it's like you said, it's just my overly, um, maybe I'm just overly used to American cinema where mm -hmm. the viewer has to have all the answers. Maybe it doesn't have to be that way, like you're saying. Yeah, you know, yeah. So. I did have a complaint about the film that you had a complaint about First Cow, which is the sound. Mm -hmm. I felt like, <laughs> <laughs> except the opposite yeah. direction, like too yes. much sound. And I know that this was a huge issue when Interstellar came out. People were complaining it was too loud. Yeah, there was times where I am like rolling my um, remote control, the, the volume decibel by like 10, 15 decibels. When I'm like, oh, here's the music, tone it all the way down. And then, oh, dialogue, tone it all the way up. So that, that was, I don't know why that's hate when that happens. an issue in Nolan films, especially. Yeah, but, I agree. Yeah. I hate when that happens. What the heck? Yeah. <laughs> so we get it. The music's phenomenal. It's amazing. Yeah. But Sorry, I really want to hear what they have to sound. say. <laughs> yeah. But I really want to know what they're saying. Exactly. <laughs> if you all had a center channel speaker like I, I do, I think you know, oh, it'd be fine. Oh, yeah. just, oh <laughs> just kidding. It's cool guy. Cool guy. <laughs> no, I watch movies on my phone. <laughs> yeah. I know. There you Come go. On. AirPods. That's there all the surround go. sound you need. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Will. What is your number eight film? So my number eight film is a nice little Pixar film called Onward. Uh, nice. Why did you say that like a little leprechaun Irishman? I don't know. I was trying to be <laughs> fantasy because it is a fantasy film. Oh, Sorry. good point. Good point. It yes. Kinda, yeah. yeah. Got it. <laughs> Failed miserably though. Okay. I know, Myron. <laughs> Happy birthday, Mr. Adult Man. Oh, mom. Black and gross. What was dad like? His beard was scratchy. He had a goofy laugh. I wish I'd met him. I have something for you from your dad. It's a wizard staff. I wrote this spell so I could see for myself who my boys grew up to be. This spell brings him back. Back like back to life? She wanted to meet you more than anything. Holy tooth of Zadar! How did you... I don't know! It just started! Hang on! This was a film I went into thinking I wasn't going to like it, but it really surprised me. And I, the, the trailers, I, honestly, I think they did a good job for making me think, eh, it doesn't look that great. So this Pixar film is about two elf brothers who embark on a quest to bring back their father for one day. It brought a fun quirkiness to a new world where magic became a thing of the past as technology and modern urbanization took over. I was like, wow, what the heck? Um... The story brought big emotional moments as well as Pixar does with most of their films. As Ian and Barley go on their journey, the voice acting by both Tom Holland and Chris Pratt, they were great. Entertaining as the brother elves, definitely worth watching a few times, which is why I put it at my number eight. Um, man, I just I, I think the one part about the film that I just enjoy is the world that they brought with the whole modern urbanization that you get these mystical creatures such as the 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 unicorns that have been transformed into as if they're like raccoons and they're just eating out of your dumpster now because there's no use for them anymore so they became this beautiful mystical creatures this is ugly just disgusting rodents kind of thing going on i'm yeah. just like what in the world and he did such a good job animating it yeah. the way they look so yeah yeah, I was really yeah, smart. I loved it. Yeah, it was really good. And so that was my number eight. So simple as that. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, I think this is the Pixar film that people kind of completely forgot about. But I think it definitely holds its own against a movie like Soul. It was a great film, I thought. 
Um, so that's a really, really good choice. Yeah. I agree with you. It actually was it was on my list until I watched The Assistant and uh, one other movie which will which actually made my top five that I saw last night. So it was on there as well. So it's like at number twelve for me. Mm. Yeah, I remember seeing ads for it before COVID hit, and then when COVID hit, it just all kind of disappeared, and mm. then I forgot about it. So I haven't watched it because I forgot about it. But you haven't watched it at all for yet. Reminding, no, I haven't. I, I totally oh, forgot that film came out this year. Okay. For some reason, I remember seeing ads like right before, and even though that was like in you know February March, for me, for some reason, that felt like 2019. Oh man, because you're gonna the love pandemic the, like yeah. reset my year start. Dude, mm. you're gonna love the Biker King Pixies. Just wait, nice. just watch it. It's so <laughs> good. That was pretty cool. All right, my number eight film is The Five Bloods, directed mm. by Spike Lee. And I feel like with Black Klansman and with this film, it's safe to say that Spike Lee is back and he's having a bit of a career renaissance. This movie deals with four Afri- African-American vets returning to Vietnam in order to find the remains of their fallen squad leader, played by Chadwick Boseman. And uh, they're also there to find the gold fortune that uh, he helped them hide. We give this gold to our people. Hold up! In my line of work, I have to be very careful. And that means knowing exactly who I am in business with. This movie makes some really strong claims about the nature of war and who ends up paying the cost for them. Wars are started by big, powerful men in organizations and countries, but it is the soldiers on the ground that pay for it. And even those that survive, still, it still costs them quite a bit. Artistically, this movie used changing aspect ratios, depending on like the time period that we're watching. Um, you know, there's quite a bit of flashback used here. And Spike Lee made the really interesting choice to play the present, to have the present day versions of the characters play themselves in the past. So you can imagine how confusing that would be, but with the uh, aspect ratio changes and the uh, changes in terms of like the tone of the film and, and uh, you know, they obviously added a filter to the image that we we're seeing. All of that really added up uh, to make it just really clear to us like, oh, to know that, oh, this is taking place in the past. This is taking place in the present. Um, of course, the great Chadwick Boseman is featured in this film. There is a big reveal at the end that revolves around this character. And I have to say that Chadwick, um, he had one hell of a year with yes. this film and also with Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Um, it was a great one-two punch. And I mean, it's sad to say that he went out mm-hmm. the way that he did. But if you're going to go out, I think you would want to go out with the type of career that he had in 2020 it's so Um, sad because with the just the big uh moves he made last year with all those films obviously he knew and i think that was Mm -hmm. maybe his goal was like i'm going to do as many as i can because i make the best of it as i can but it man how it hurts the soul man gosh it It does. does it does and yeah actually that's my number seven um the five bloods and i totally agree with you um Uh, Chadwick Boseman, like his presence in that film really kind of centered it and grounded it. And I mean, I had a lot of issues with the film, but like I had to reset what I was watching. Like I I had to tell myself I'm not watching like a big action movie because the trailers for it kind of make it feel like that. I had to remind myself like, no, this is, watch it like it's a foreign film. You know, this is a Spike Lee joint. This isn't a regular film. And once I got in that mindset, like it really opened the doors to like the ideas that he was exploring. 
And um, I really appreciated the themes like, uh, I don't know how you call it, but like international racism, like particularly mm. in Asian cultures against blacks and how PTSD manifests itself in a daily situation. Mm. And uh, the PTSD angle, like through the eyes of Delroy Lindo, like you can actually see uh, how something as small and innocuous as a pushy street vendor trying to sell you chickens, because that happens to everyone, can trigger a PTSD episode. And um, having had friends and family who have, you know, um, that deal with mental health issues, uh, to see these kind of trigger moments to, to acknowledge it, like, oh yeah, uh, Spike Lee did his homework. You know, you, you could see how certain incidents, certain stressful moments can trigger that episode. And so it was, I was really grateful to see that properly portrayed. Um, mm. Stressed me out and pissed me <laughs> off. That get, I would punch that guy in the face, get that freaking chicken out of my face. Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> it was yeah, so it, annoying. I wonder, like, is that, is that, is, was that actor a real actor? Or did they just kind of, you know, wing it and found some street vendor guy on a boat saying, hey, hey, you want to be in our film? You want to do the scene real quick? I, it made me wonder because it felt real and genuine, you know? Yeah. All right, well, moving on. My number seven film is The Way Back. Chill out, Yo, man. Take it easy, man. Stop. Grab's clean. Hey, 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 That's clean. Hey, 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 Bring it in. Yo, 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 Let's go. Hustle, hustle. Yeah, All right, guys. As discussed, I am honored to turn things over to your new head coach, Jack Cunningham. Hello, coach. How you doing, guys? Good. 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 Hello, coach. You're Marcus, right? That's right. He used to be calling my name, too. <laughs> All right. All right. Marcus, tell me what you see out there. Um, I see Nikki fine ass keep looking at me. Saw she was bending over. She Marcus, just be respectful, please. He asked you what I saw. Would you want me to lie to him? You know what I see, Marcus? What? You're the tallest player on the team. Oh. Makes me wonder why you're putting three pointers up every time you come down the court. Oh, that's because I got a candy stroke, coach. Ask Coach Dan. I made the most threes on the team last year. Coach Dan, how many threes did Marcus make last year? Um, Marcus made 34. Out of how many attempts? Out of 130. <laughs> What's that percentage of? For a percentage of 26. Damn. 26%, Marcus. If you want to know why they're leaving you open, it's because they don't think you could hit the ocean from the beach. <laughs> oh, shit. This was the very last movie I watched before the pandemic broke out. I remember it vividly because it was my anniversary with my wife, Hannah. We were at a restaurant, and uh, as we were there, they literally shut the NBA season down that mm -hmm. same day. And then literally a few minutes later, we, I, we got messages that Tom Hanks has COVID. We were like, oh my gosh, <laughs> the world is going to come to an end. But we're all like, we're still out. It's our anniversary. Let's just go to a movie theater. So that day it was March 11th. We went to watch The Way Back. And uh, it was pretty much empty. But yet we still felt completely dirty because we were like, oh my <laughs> gosh, we're in a public closed space with people around us. And this is bad. Let's just get out of here. But luckily enough, the movie was really, really, really good. You know, so this whole thing about Ben Affleck, he has this certain relationship with the public that his best friend Matt Damon just doesn't have, and that's because Matt is such a squeaky clean guy for the most part. But Ben Affleck, we've seen his struggles and his falls over and over and over again in the tabloids and in the news, and it's almost as if we feel for the guy when he falls. We root for him. 
to get back on top. And when he's there, it's almost as if we're waiting for him to fall again. Mm. And it's, it's the weird type of relatability that he has with movie going audiences. And he really taps into that here because in, in many ways, it's almost as if Ben Affleck is playing to some extent a, a version of himself in this movie. Um, he plays an alcoholic, uh, who is given a second chance when his old high school offers him the head coaching job of their basketball program. It's a, it's a hard watch, and uh, there are certain storylines that might feel overdone, a little bit like melodramatic, but the way they handle them, it's actually really, really well done. And the thing that I love the most about this movie is the ending, because it's a good ending that gives you hope, but it's not a Hollywood ending. You know, he is the basketball coach, and his team starts winning when uh, he starts caring about the team. So with that mix, you think that, oh, they're going to go win state. They're going to do all this stuff. That's not quite what happens, but, you know, it's a version of it, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And it's the version that I think was right for the film that we accepted, and that wasn't too over-the-top over the top like Disney you know it's not like a a Disney sports movie right that's what I really appreciated and uh, that's why it's on my list number seven The Way Back I believe uh, Ben Affleck actually in an interview had to channel the basically revisit when he was struggling with alcoholism and Mm. I think in the interview he was explaining how you can just how dark it was for him and and so basically, to revisit that and have to act it out again, wow! He's it must be a, it must be a yeah. struggle. So yeah, yeah. but he did Most it phenomenally definitely. though. I, I love the the freezer beer thing. You know? Yeah. <laughs> have you seen the movie, Steve-O? No, I haven't. <laughs> yeah, he does this thing. Correct me if I'm wrong, Will. Where uh, he buys like a twelve pack, and the beers aren't getting cold enough, so he'll put one in the freezer. Yep. And then he'll pull it out to drink it, put another one in the freezer, and take it out to drink it. Yep. And literally, he's pulling them out so fast in the freezer, they're not really getting cold, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's just the thing that he does. Anyway, Man. he's drinking. Also, first time I've seen shower drinking. I didn't know that was a thing, but he oh. does shower drinking in this movie. Interesting. Very interesting. Anyway, and Maybe he took that from his <laughs> I try real that. life. Just kidding. No, I don't. <laughs> yeah. He's a, hey, he's, maybe he told the director, Gavin O'Connor, hey, Gavin, I got this idea. Uh, you know, what about shower drinking? Did he have shower plants? <laughs> no, he that's, didn't have shower plants. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Really? yeah he's like, people it. too lazy. It's like too a greenhouse in the shower. <laughs> too lazy enough to shower and like water your plants. So he's like, I might as well just water them when I'm taking a shower. Oh it's like your own personal greenhouse. <laughs> that's so funny. Very Man. interesting. All right, Will, what's your number seven film? So my number seven film, uh, it's 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 gotten some attention. I don't know if you guys seen it yet. It's Enola Holmes. Now where to begin? My mother named me Enola, which backwards spells alone. And yet we were always together, and it was wonderful. She was my whole world. Which leads me on to the second thing you need to know. A week ago, I awoke. Mother? To find that my mother was missing. So basically, I, I stumbled upon this, not even realizing it was a part of the Sherlock universe. I just saw Millie Bobby Brown on the cover, and I was curious right away with what this film is about. So it is a unique story of Sherlock's younger sister who discovers her mother missing and sets off to, sets off to find her, becoming a detective in her own right, and outwitting her famous brother as she discovers a dangerous conspiracy uh, around a mysterious young lord. 
This film is playful and doesn't take itself too seriously. I really enjoyed it. The narrative is guided by Enola as she speaks to the camera at certain points, breaking the fourth wall. So it's really like one of those, and it is based off series of books. It just kind of reminded me back like in middle school when I used to read those and, and, and the dialogue would be like, like the, the, the narrative talking to you straight to you as you're reading it. And that it really kind of like brought me back to that. Um, Millie Bobby Brown gives the character a lot of spunk wit and tenacity like the the, the other notable car- cast members like um henry cavill uh, henry cavill <laughs> cavill i don't know why i said it like that but is it cavill uh, p- cavill cavill i think cavill cavill yes. yeah you said it right henry yeah. cavill cavill <laughs> henry cavill He's jesus and superman that guy basically right <laughs> <laughs> He plays Sherlock now too. So Jesus, Superman, and Sherlock, and Helena Bonham Carter, who plays Enola's mother, Henry Cavill, I thought was awesome as Sherlock, and of course Helena Bonham Carter always dials in a dynamic performance. So yes. cinematography, bright, vibrant. Uh, the action sequences were great. I think they're going to be releasing a few more, but I believe mm. I read that the Sherlock uh, estate, the the estate that owns Sherlock a series, I mm-hmm. think they're suing uh, the publisher mm. for Enola Holmes because they said that they made Sherlock too emotional or, or too, <laughs> like, e- e- sensitive. I don't know. I was like, what? I, I just When I read that, I was like, that don't, makes no sense to me. I, like, I don't know. So... Yeah, yeah, we'll yeah. see. I'm hoping they still make it. I hope that they are able to pump it out. So Yeah, it always sucks yeah. when lawsuits are the reasons why, you know, yeah. films can't get made. <laughs> yeah, Jeez. definitely. All right, well, that's a great pick. And I believe you already shared your number six, which leaves us with um, Steve-O's number six and my number six. Oh, so, that's a tie. Uh, I will, yeah, I will go ahead and get started and I'll hand it over to Steve-O. My number six film is Soul. Music is all I think about. From the moment I wake up in the morning to the moment I fall asleep at night. I was born to play. It's my reason for living. Hello? What the... This weed, the council. There's a soul missing. Uh, last week, Kat, our co-host, said it best. It's not peak Pixar, <laughs> but to me, it's still great Pixar. It's still it's still great Pixar. Agreed. Now, I feel like Pixar movies are in tiers. There is the Cars movies are kind of the bottom tier. There's the majority of the other films, which are all great, and then there's like an upper tier where the films are just like excellent. Mm-hmm. Right? This is. Great to excellent Pixar, kind of right around in there. You know, this movie is not for kids. Um, they might like the fact that it's animated, but it will never, but it will go over everyone's heads, to be quite honest. Um, I will reiterate a couple of more things from last week. This is, a, this is world building on a grand scale. In order to do something like this right, you need to tap into the things that people already accept and know and that are a part of their, their knowledge base. Um, so that way, when you tap into them, you don't have to over-explain this new world that you're building, right? P- 
Pete Docter is an amazing filmmaker, period. And this film, which deals with new souls finding their way and an old soul played by Jamie Foxx trying to find their way back to Earth in order to realize a dream. It's a really, really great touching story. Ultimately, it's a message about how we shouldn't take the small things in life for granted. And uh, a really, really great fun watch. Happy I... I'm happy that this was released on Christmas Day without having to pay a premium to watch it. So that is my number six film. Now, over to you, Steve. What is your number six film? For me, number six was Bad Education. You look tired. Tired is kicking my ass. I would kill somebody for a carb right now. I don't know where you could find one. You're such a bitch. Oh, would you like a bite? Come on, eat the fucking sandwich. Good morning. I wanted to make a difference. Look, we did. I got us all the way to number four. And I will get us to number one. These are the best early decision numbers that we've ever seen. They want me to write an article about the new budget. Oh, okay. Soundbite. Nice. You want to write this down or are you... Uh... I'm taping. Oh. Okay. It's just a puff piece. It's only a puff piece if you let it be a puff piece. I don't know if you guys saw it. It's uh, I think it's on HBO. Uh, um, it's yeah, I was meaning to catch up to it. Yeah, it's based on a true story about a suburban school district in Long Island, I think, who committed fraud, extortion, and uh, basically to to hide the theft of millions of dollars uh, by its superintendent Hugh Jackman and assistant superintendent Allison Janney. Uh, Jackman and Janney just like together were were phenomenal in this cast, and it had the tone of like um like an Adam McKay movie, like uh, The Big Short, mm. something like that. Yeah. And so it's like based on this realism, but there's like it's snarky and, you know, it's quick paced. And um, I think uh, it struck a chord with me because uh, it was really relatable to my high school experience growing up. You know, um, having grown up in like Irvine, um, Orange, Southern Orange County area, uh, public school system was, was very, a big reason why a lot of people moved to that part of the, of, of the country, of the state. And um, just to see um, the characters come to life, um, it gave a believability and a relatability to it. And um, mm. like I said, like Jackman and Janie were tremendous. And uh, to be quite honest, I wish that there was more Alice and Janie. Uh, that's probably true with everything she's in. But yes. in particular this, like I just wish there was more of her. Um, I felt like uh, it, it was definitely relevant with the headline stories of, of the past year pre-COVID of uh, Lori Loughlin mm-hmm. going to jail for college admission scams. And it, it just showed an inside look of how these kind of scams could possibly like snowball, you know, in the film Hugh Jackman um, pointed out like when he's being asked by um, Ray Romano's character, how did this, how did this become? Like you were this great guy. Like how did, how did you get sucked into this? And Hugh Jackman's character basically said, it started with um, a $40 bill that I accidentally paid, accidentally paid with the corporate credit card. That's how it started. And it just snowballed into something big. And um, the more that uh, I, I hid, mm-hmm. the more that uh, people liked me, the more that they were willing to forgive. But I think it was more interesting because it was a theme about, um, you know, what is your child's education worth? What is education worth in our country? Mm-hmm. And I feel like in America, it is um, put up on the highest pedestal uh, as if um, the value of education is what's going to make you or break you. And um, mm-hmm. going through that high school experience, um, all the pressures that uh, came down upon us, uh, it, it, it just interesting. It, it kind of value, you know, questioned the value of uh, what is the American dream? Is it worth to cheat, to scam, to to be able to attain mm-hmm. that? 
Interesting. Sometimes it is. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> what what was that voice that you just used, Will? I, I want to know. I think it was uh, Bobby Lee when he used to be on Matt TV. <laughs> oh. And I think, I forgot one of the skits he did, but it was like that one uh, skit where he goes, Sometimes I do. <laughs> Would you like to write in my day woo? <laughs> do you guys remember day woo? <laughs> Man. Hey, Will, one more time for old time's sake. Can you imitate Morgan Freeman saying, give me the gun? Give me the gun. <laughs> no, that's that's Borat, man. I, we talked about this. Give me the gun. Hold on. <clears throat> yes. Hold on. Give me the gun. <laughs> <laughs> this is the scene in Seven, Steve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's in the box? Yeah. Anyway. All right. All right, that was part one of our top 10 films of the year. Uh, Will, steve and I just went through films 10 through 6. We will take a short break, and we will come back and discuss more of the best of the year, including scene of the year, most emotional moment of the year, funniest scene of the year, and performance of the year. Stay tuned. All right, we are back, and the first thing that we're, we are going to discuss in our best of the year segment is scene of the year. So... First things first, I want to turn it over to you, Will, your favorite scene of 2020. My favorite scene of 2020 is Robin's Wish. Yes, I chose a documentary. Not sure if you guys seen. Have you guys seen it? Mm. No, but Mm -mm. I'm definitely, it's on my watch list. My goodness. My goodness. So (laughs) many tears. The ending that got me where his relentless wife, Susan, sought after the answer to his death, which was discovered to be... Louis Body Dementia. I me- do. If you guys remember the media, how they all were saying, "Oh, Robin Williams, he had depression, depression, yeah. and committed suicide." Blah blah blah. Nope. It is the second most common type of progressive dementia after Alzheimer's disease, leading him to his suicide. And wow. Robin Williams, you know, one of the most prolific actors of our time. It, it, when you watch at the end of the uh, of this documentary, he he leaves us with some wisdom of life, and he says, "There's sadness, but there's also hope." Sadness, it's always like you wish they hadn't happened, but they did. The purpose is to make you different. It's what they call the Buddhist gift. It's that idea of your back and the thing that matters are others, way beyond yourself. Self goes away. Ego, bye-bye. You realize there are a lot of, uh, a lot of amazing people to be grateful for and a loving God. And other than that, good luck. That's what life is about. And... I was just playing back him saying that over and over again, just because, oh man, it was very, very moving. Like literally every time I watched it, I just got choked up. So amazing. You guys have to watch it. Such an amazing moment. Yes. All right, Steve, I think you and I might have some overlap here. I'll let you talk about your scene of the year. Sure. Uh, My scene of the year comes from a small film called Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. Uh, I saw this at Sundance, and um, I'm glad that it, it got found release. Um, uh, the, the scene that really got to me was the scene where Autumn, who's an underage teen, and um, she's required to respond to a list of questions from a social worker by answering just four, one of four words, never, rarely, sometimes, always. I want to spend a few minutes talking with you about your relationships, okay, because they can affect your health. Did you know that? All right, so I'm gonna ask you some questions. They can be really personal, and all you have to do is answer either never, rarely, sometimes, or always. It's kinda like multiple choice, but it's not a test. Okay. Okay? In the past year, 
Your partner has refused to wear a condom. Never, rarely, sometimes, always. Sometimes. Okay. And your partner messes with your birth control or tries to get you pregnant when you don't want to be? Never, <coughs> rarely, sometimes, always. Uh, never. Okay. Your partner has threatened or frightened you? Never, rarely, sometimes, always. Why are you asking me this? I want to make sure that you're safe. And it was like, I can't remember how long it was. I think it was like, it felt like 10 to 15 minutes where the camera just yeah. stayed on our protagonist, Autumn. And she's an underage teen seeking an abortion as a result of sexual abuse by her stepfather or alleged. You, you, it never, the film never tells exactly Jeez, this sounds way. very depressing and, now. Oh my gosh. Yeah, but like it was done in a very um, uplifting way. Um, in, it, well, not uplifting, but like in a heart-wrenching way. You know, oh. like th there was softness to it. There, there was care. There was love um, projected onto these characters and you felt it on the screen. And uh, this mm. scene in particular, um, she's, uh, she's run away to, to get this procedure and um, the, the camera just never cut away. It just stayed on her. And I just, it was interesting because at first when, as, as she's starting to answer the questions, the first few questions are kind of, you know, innocuous and like, what is your name? Where are you from? And uh, as it continues on, um, it comes down to like harder, more difficult questions. And um, she's struggling to, to be able to answer this, but in her hometown and in, in rural America, she has no way to, to express what she's experiencing because of societal taboos and uh, cultural taboos. And this is the mm -hmm. first time that she's being asked these kinds of questions. And um, the difficulty of, of reducing sexual abuse and your rights over your body all this down to a multiple choice question answer of one of four words. That I thought was just heart wrenching just to, to yeah. see. Yeah. So I had a different scene of the year. It was from Kajillionaire where even Evan Rachel Wood's character, old Dolio, there's a whole story as to why her name is old Dolio, but uh, she pretends to be a normal family with her mother and father played by Deborah Winger and uh, Richard Jenkins. And they're teaming up with a new con, con artist team member played by Gina Rodriguez. Uh, basically, they're in an old man's home and uh, they're there to steal checks from uh, that old man who's dying. Uh, there are so many layers to that scene. I really loved it, but I actually changed it last night to the scene in which you are talking mm. about now because it is so excruciating. And uh, the thing that I learned is the actress that played Autumn, this is her first movie. Yes. She's never acted in anything in her entire life and she's not an actress by trade at least before this movie she held the camera for this entire scene mm -hmm. and before this scene she was like a wall she was didn't she didn't want to express herself to anyone she had like this kind of tough attitude like don't mess with me type yeah. thing and then you just see that wall just come down and her entire life in all of the struggles and the things that she deals with is reduced to just answering the questions that she's being asked by a social worker with those four really cold words. And we are not only, um, you know, there with her to experience what she's feeling, but it's actually a key moment of exposition mm -hmm. because we are now learning about the sexual relationships that she has with um, basically anyone in her life. Mm -hmm. Um, really, really well crafted, yeah. amazingly acted, and it is just excruciating. So I 
totally agree with you. I don't think it was a 10 to 15 minute scene. It just it felt, felt like, like it. yeah. Yeah, but I was like holding yes. my chair and like, like eyes open the whole time. Yeah, I totally yeah. agree. I kept thinking to myself, cut away, cut away. Why is she cutting away? Yeah. And yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, it's heart-wrenching. Brutal. Yeah. You guys got some right, intense freaking choices here. My gosh. I mean, I'm getting <laughs> yeah. all kind of sentimental and emotional and you guys are just like these people like prostitutes <laughs> and <laughs> well yeah it's like you know they're these these are the types of stories that you know don't really get explored in in you know mainstream traditional films and so these indies but at sundance it's everywhere it is everywhere it, like. it is overwhelming i think that's why palm springs stuck out because it was a not depressing yeah. film mm. yeah. very good moment yeah. all right most emotional moment of the year why don't you go ahead and get started will all right my most emotional moment of the year sound of metal two scenes oh. the first scene where ruben first loses it in the trailer ruben ruben stop it Look at me, I'm not going back to that fucking place, okay? I know, I know. I'm. Well, then fucking support me. How's about that? Fucking support me, Lou. Huh? Breaking his equipment, exploding in anger. Um, his, his girlfriend's trying to calm him down. But you, you see in the previous scene before he does that, like he seems he's collected he's processing he's able to you know fight like beat this no right when it cuts to the next thing you just hear pounding of just things breaking and you realize no he doesn't have it together he totally loses it and and you can't help but just feel so bad for him in that moment mm-hmm. um the other scene man this one this one really really was yeah. the pivotal moment i think of the film and it's a scene where Ruben is having a discussion with Joe. Uh, he he runs the um, the camp. Would you say, Myron? I think it's like a camp for mm-hmm. for the deaf, like a rehab, like a rehab for, for, for for the deaf. Yeah, and he's one of the the, the head guys, uh, Joe, and he's being told to do an assignment to just sit in a room with nothing but a pen and notepad, and and just do nothing, just sit there. And if he has moments where he has like a tick or something, he needs he says to write it on the notepad and keep writing until you can sit again. And man, like that, I, I think this whole film, for me at least, was about stillness. When you when you go through mm. a moment that yeah. traumatic in your life, how to find mm. your center again, how to really find yeah. you know ground, uh, be grounded again. Yeah. So that that was yeah. very emotional agreed. for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good agreed, scene. agreed. Mm-hmm. Uh, my f- most emotional moment of the year comes from the same movie it is basically a two or three scene sequence towards the end of the film mm-hmm. at this point um, Ruben played by Riz Ahmed has sold everything that he owns pretty much to get this surgery that he believes will cure him of his of his deafness mm-hmm. and he does so because he wants to go back and 
you know, get his girlfriend back and, you know, life can go back to normal. Well, he realizes very quickly that even with his hearing aid, the, what he, what he hears is only a shell of what things sounded like before. It actually sounds just awful. Right. And, uh, there is this moment with so many levels to it where he flies to France to visit his girlfriend, Lou. And, uh, Lou is a heavy metal singer, like, uh, all out punk rock heavy metal singer and she is moved back in with her rich father in paris and the father plays piano and he asks lou to sing with her and she sings this beautiful song in a voice that she's never used before that at least we haven't heard before and according to rizamet's face in the scene he's never heard her sing that way either and this accomplishes two things first off we know that for ruben he's thinking I have never seen this side of Lou. It's almost as if she's a little bit of a stranger to me. But also when he hears her voice singing, she's using this really quiet like falsetto. And even at that uh, volume level, his sound, what he's hearing is distorting. So not only are we thinking, okay, he feels that Lou is a stranger to him. We also know that he will never be able to play music with her ever again. Mm-hmm. And that scene is heartbreaking on those two levels. And then, of course, there's a scene when they actually, spoiler alert, (laughs) say goodbye to one another, which is equally heartbreaking. And then that final moment, like you said, Will, this movie is about finding peace, about finding quiet, solitude, uh, just moment where you can overcome. It's not so much about trying to, yeah. It's not so much about getting back to the way things were before, but finding a moment of peace in who you are now. And we get that when he removes the hearing aids. And he's sitting in a park in France and everything is beautiful and he hears nothing but silence. Yeah. And that's yeah. how the movie ends. So, uh, yeah, I know that's really long no, and I kind of really got into great. it. It spoiled so everything. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. Like, I love the monkey paw device of, of the hearing aid. You think it's going to be the cure-all and it turns out yeah. it's something very different. Yeah. 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 So crazy. All right. How about you, Steve-O? My most emotional moment of the year, I think, came from the same movie. Uh, well, not uh, Sound of Metal, but from <laughs> Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. Uh, there's yeah. a scene um, towards the end of the film where um, Autumn and her best friend and cousin Skylar, uh, you know, they they squirreled up whatever money they had to take the bus out of their rural town in, in rural America to get out to New York City uh, to find a specialist that can help her. And um, the problem is that they don't have enough money to get back. And um, the two had just had a big fight. And um, Autumn realizes that you know, per, per Myron's uh, excellent critique, like Autumn's character is, you know, she's uh, an individualist, she's independent. Um, it's just that all-American type of, uh, you know, frontiersman type of feel. That's the kind of type of character she is. And uh, she realizes that uh, she still needs to, the help of her friend 
to find her way back home. And the scene is, uh, there's a, a rich New York kid that they met on the subway that uh, they befriended, but it's very clear that he has eyes for Skylar, um, Autumn's friend, and um, he just wants to hook up with her uh, and just make out with her. And uh, she's kind of teasing it and toying it because she realizes that this might be the only way that we can get find our way back home. And there's this really heartbreaking moment where uh, they're in the subway station and, you know, yeah. she, it's not clear she really likes him. She seems interested, but it's hard to tell. But she goes ahead and, you know, they, they make out leaning against the pillar. And uh, Autumn, it's just, she knows how big of a sacrifice this is that her friend is making for mm -hmm. her. And she's so heartbroken that she can't step in her place to, to help herself. And as they're, yeah. they're kissing, she reaches out from behind the pillar where the guy can't see her and they hold hands. And, yeah. oh man, that was such a, a touching, brutal moment. But it was yeah. like, yeah. done with such and, sensitivity and softness. And just before this, like, Autumn was in the pits and, like, you know, Skylar kind of says something like, you know, is there anything I can do? And what does Autumn say? Fuck yeah. off, <laughs> right, basically? Because yeah. she's just so mad. But Skylar doesn't leave and she makes a sacrifice for mm -hmm. them. Yeah, really powerful. Yeah. Gosh, man. Yeah. Some people get just can't be nice and be like, here, let me just buy you the ticket. Yeah, it's like, never just gosh. like clean, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's not no. like the movies. <laughs> All right. So moving on to something a little bit lighter here. <laughs> please. Funniest please. scene <laughs> of the year. Yes. So Steve-O, funniest scene of the funniest year. Funniest scene. What do you, what do you it's say? funny because these funny scenes don't come from funny movies for me. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, I kind of have Way to bring it back down. I'm, just kidding. <laughs> I'll be brief, though. There, there's kind of two. Uh, I think uh, in The Five Bloods, uh, there's a scene where the Bloods, they find the gold. Hi! 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 Hi, Dad! Dad, guys! I, I think I found something! No! No! Oh, shit. Bring your shovel! I think I found the gold! Go, Dad! Oh, give me the phone. Oh, 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 it's yeah. six-year-old black dudes, like, <laughs> but it's Goonies, and it had the same feel, and I literally laughed out loud as I'm running down that hill, and, you know, like, oh, I found gold, I found gold. It's funny that, you know, 12-year-olds and six-year-old war vets can have the same kind of experience in the yeah. film. Bloods so. never say die. <laughs> I should have put that one in. Right. Yeah. Do you know what scene I was dying laughing, which I don't think I was supposed to be, was the landmine yes. scene? It was oh just my so God. God. I agree. I agree. <laughs> yeah. My mama told me uh -huh. that money is the root of all this. Oh, oh my God. The fuck? No! Oh! Eddie. Fuck. Oh! What? Oh, Otis, don't move. It's a minefield. It's a minefield. Oh! Don't move, Otis. Oh! It shocked me, but at the same time, I did put a grim, like a like a smirk on my face, like what the heck just yeah. happened? Yeah. And then it's just like, oh yeah, let everyone step on the mines. <laughs> oh my yeah. gosh! Yeah, that was crazy. 
Yeah. Yeah. All right. What about you, Will? Mine, ugh, simple for me is let them all talk. Tyler talking with Suzanne, all improvised. Yes. Like I said, it was so off the cuff. It was so authentic to me because as I was watching, I was like, this guy's not acting. He's really actually trying to make a conversation here. <laughs> and I believed him. And it was so great and i can just watch it over and over again not just to even enjoy it but to like really (laughs) study it and be like wow he just did a phenomenal job really just bringing out what he could out of his you know mind to just have this conversation (laughs) probably like directors said okay well steven soderbergh's like here here are your guidelines just go for it and i'm so curious to talk to you alice and roberta about what it was like to to come up together without any technology without to, 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 I can't help but feel like you have a glimpse and into the experience of what it's like to not be obscured by any sort of false selves or, or, or to, to really be intimate with each other in moments of, so I, I kind of feel like I'm, I'm, I'm spending time with three uh, almost like dinosaurs. No, I was <laughs> gonna say. I'm teasing you. Well, no, I, I, I'm teasing you. I just, I just think that there's. It is true that after your generation, I don't know who will carry the torch for what really, it, what what humanity really is. I, I don't think it's that different. No, I, I know it, it. It's vastly different when you look at it from the outside. And what's happened to your generation, I mean, since you were two, you've been typing away. And so you've grown up with this thing like an appendage on you, Uh you know? But I think that depending on what you join up with on, you know, the computer, Facebook or Instagram, whatever you're joining up with, um, or not, that human communication is basically the same because humans are basically the same. I love his, how he's always searching for words. You know, he's trying to yes. sound like yeah. more pretentious than he could be, that he is. And mm-hmm. it's just, it just, it's, yeah, it's hilarious. Well, another thing, he's just so funny in this movie. Uh, there's a scene, w- which I really love, where he's trying to win the heart of Gemma mm-hmm. Chan. And he's kind of getting into, like, his family backstory. And he's, like, really playing up that scarred child because my father was a deadbeat angle. But saying it in such a way where it was just so funny because he was trying to just win her yeah. over. Yeah, he was really great <laughs> in this so movie. So good. All right, my funniest scene of the year comes from Borat 2. Mm-hmm. It is the infamous Tom Hanks scene. So essentially, spoiler oh alert, um, <laughs> we learned that the coronavirus did not come from Wuhan. It came from Kazakhstan, and it was created by the government as a revenge on the rest of the world for laughing at their country <laughs> as a result of what happened in in uh, Borat Part 1. So Borat is essentially like a mule to carry this <laughs> virus uh, <laughs> across the world over to the United States. And along the way, he makes a pit stop in Australia, shakes Tom Hanks's hand and coughs on him. <laughs> so we obviously know that that's how- you That know, was actually kind of genius. I, and once I saw that scene, was. I was like, no freaking way. Oh my that's gosh. <laughs> they went there. Yeah, it's like they got Tom. Hey, they got Rudy Giuliani. They can get Tom yeah, Hanks, right? <laughs> yeah. No, I, re- I was like, what am I seeing? Why is Rudy Giuliani? Yeah. How do you read this movie? It's insane. <laughs> 
Yeah. Okay. Last category before we call it is uh, performance of the year. Uh, Steve-O, why don't you sure. go first? Uh, I think for me, it was a no-brainer. Uh, Chadwick, Chadwick Boseman in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, like, mm-hmm. like we spoke before about it, he just totally disappeared into that character. Um, I know that he was dealing with uh, stage four cancer and that affected his physicality. But um, as they say in the acting world, he used it. He used it and you could feel the pain. It was genuine pain that um, he was projecting. And it, even though, like to your point, Will, the film is, uh, is, is, um, is actually coming from a play and it felt yeah. like a play. The way that it's staged and the way that it's written and um, the words and the character arcs, it's very stagey, right? Yeah. But despite that, uh, Chadwick just brought it to a whole other level. And you could tell that his other co-stars, the way that they're reacting, uh, I don't think that was acting. I think that was genuine, you know? Oh, yeah. yeah. They were crying. Yeah, they were yeah. 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 building that energy, really feeling the energy. Feeling mm-hmm. energy, feeling, fe- yeah. feeding off each other in that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was a tornado, a hurricane in that tight, confined space, just whizzing all across the room, and it was amazing to me. Ain't none of my business. You spooked up by the white man. <laughs> all right, see, that's the shit I'm talking about. Y'all back up and leave Levy alone. Oh, come on, Levy. We was all just having fun. Yeah. Toledo ain't said nothing about you. He ain't said about me. You just taking it all wrong. <laughs> ain't meant nothing by Levy. Levy got to be Levy. You don't need nobody messing with him about the white man. You don't know nothing about me. You don't know, Levy. You don't know nothing about what kind of blood I got, what kind of heart I got beat here. I was eight years old when a gang of white men is coming to my daddy's house and have to do with my mama any way they want. Who's living in Jefferson County, about eight miles outside of Natchez. My daddy's name was Memphis, Memphis Lee Green. Had him near 50 acres of good farming land. I'm talking good land. Grow anything you want. You know, going off of shares and bought this land for Mr. Halley's widow woman after he done passed on. Folks called him an uppity nigga because he done saved and borrowed the way he could buy this land and be independent. It was coming on planting time. And my daddy went into Natchez to get him some seed and fertilizer. Called me, say, Levy, you the man of the house now. Take care of your mama while I'm gone. So good. Mm. So, so good. Very, very good choice. I think it's going to come down to, for the Oscar, Chadwick Boseman or uh, this person that I think is on Will's list and my list as well, and that is Riz Ahmed for The Sound of Metal. I'll go ahead and take this one first. He is uh, understated, painful, and beautiful. He wears his heart on his sleeve this entire movie. He inhabits the character fully. He learned to play drums. Right, mm-hmm. And it's through his acting that we get so much of the exposition in a minimal script that relies on its actors to relay information. We learn so much just by how he says certain things. right? And bravo to the script that gave him that freedom to act. Right. And uh, bravo to him for just finding the best way to get information across. At the same time, really just you know live in the character. Um, I had a couple of runners up and uh they are paul racy from the same movie he played the uh the rehab mm. the kind of the rehab leader the Joe. kind of the mentor for riz yeah. ahmed yeah and then of course sydney flanagan yes. uh, from never rarely sometimes always was also on my list uh those are those two were very close runners mm. up and then chadwick of course was was right up there behind them so um that is my performance of the year over to you will mm. riz ahmed you took the words right out of my mouth myron <laughs> 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 no, but really, I, I mean, 
what what a performance what energy what just like a force of nature and and really man just the way how he took his moments the cadence of it the way how he was carrying the character and the moments that he was dealing with with the struggles it it was it was captivating to watch him and you know go through it and and you couldn't help but to just be feel connected and go through that journey with him you know um but yeah i mean riz ahmed i really uh i, I maybe they can share the oscar i don't know i really chadwick <laughs> boseman I, I would love to have him you know win the oscar yeah. i won't be mad either or yeah. either or both mm-hmm. both i be- i believe deserve an oscar yeah yeah. yeah, I wish I could have put Sound of Metal on my top ten. If I had one more slot, it would totally slide in. Mm. But yeah, I mm. mean, Riz definitely, I think, was phenomenal in that film. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think Chadwick's gonna win. To be honest with you guys, um, I think so too. And I'm not gonna be mad about yeah. that. I think so too. It's definitely deserving. Yeah. All right, everyone, that was our episode. We will be back next week with part two of our best films of 2020. And as a surprise, we will have some of our previous guests call in with their choices for best film of the year. Until then, we just want to remind you that it's not so much the destination, but the things you watch and experience along the way. Until then, stay safe. Stay safe, everybody. Everybody.